Welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg, your look into the inner workings of Canada's upcoming organization, Iceberg Esports. Welcome everybody, I'm Ben James, and in this episode of Tip of the Iceberg, I have a very, very special guest. Please enjoy this interview with our very own Daniel S. Scott, Iceberg's founder and CEO. Today, we have Daniel S. Scott, the CEO of Iceberg Esports. How are you doing today, Dan? Good, good. Very busy. <laughs> yeah. Just to start us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your uh, your history with gaming? And Yeah, so... I mean, I suppose, like everybody, I started gaming about as early as I can remember. I remember when I was like two or three years old, me and my brother would sit down in front of our massive 22-inch tube TV, yeah. playing our uh, Nintendo Entertainment System, me dying constantly. Uh, but I didn't really dive into competitive gaming until much later with the original Xbox and Halo. And that kind of put me on a trajectory where in the back of my head, it was always something of an interest and a hobby but obviously you know i i watched esports develop alongside myself for a very long time and you know i tried to have my own life i went into the military uh, as a pilot with the canadian air force i uh, became a commissioned officer i uh, proceeded to leave the air force and changed my major from astrophysics to business administration i just graduated with my business degree and at the tail end of it i saw that Esports was an interesting opportunity around the world, but there wasn't anything at all in Canada. One of the few larger, or larger, not large organizations in Canada named Northern Gaming was bought out by, I think it was NRG back in August of 2017. And that kind of left a void in the national industry. I mean, I was pretty well graduated at that point. I was looking for something to do. I've done a few entrepreneurial ventures in the past. Uh, mostly applications, software development. I figured it can't be too different from tech. Why the hell not? And I started Iceberg. Any good uh, <laughs> entrepreneur knows that any void should be filled, right? Like, there's always opportunities there. Exactly. So why the name Iceberg? Where did this come from? Well, honestly, I was looking at what exists in Canada right now. Like, there's Set to Destroy. There was Northern at the time. There was also Insomnia. Actually, I think they were just on the verge of shutting down as I was starting up. And there was Luminosity. And everything else was like Toronto Esports, Montreal Esports, you know, nothing really creative. But what interested me was, in particular, Northern Gaming. Their their logo was a polar bear. And I'm like, that was awfully Canadian, but it doesn't scream Canadian. That was really the void that I wanted to fill. It wasn't so much having a professional esports team for Canada so much as it was having a Canadian identity in esports. Something that you can look at and go, they're the Canadian team, but it doesn't have the maple leaf slapped in front of it. And I live in Newfoundland, uh, which is famous for its iceberg. Uh, we even have a beer made from them. And to me, that is very uniquely Canadian. That's not something you will find anywhere else in the world. And inspiration hit. And so Iceberg was born. What, uh, what team slash events are you uh, most excited about right now? Well, there's not a whole lot I can say publicly on that right okay, now. Okay, that's uh, fine. We're actually, 
we are in the midst of acquiring a Dota team. Uh, I can't say who, I can't say for how much, but what I can say is we have our national identity back. For a lot of the players that we've been talking to, not just in Dota, but you know, Halo, Call of Duty, Counter-Strike, uh, Rocket League, even some Blizzard games, because there's been such a void for professional esports in Canada for the last decade, a lot of the world-renowned players that are Canadian, they're playing for American, European teams. So us providing an opportunity for them to come back, stay as a professional esports player, is really a kind of homecoming. There are a lot of really nice stories that I can't wait to start telling. The 2018 is pretty exciting in general, then. Exactly. I mean, 2018 is, well, th this week in particular is going to be very big, but for the next couple of months, it's going to be just go, just rolling with the punches, really, because obviously there's competitions. We're in the middle of pretty much every competitive season right now. Dota League of Legends is picking up again. Counter-Strike is starting up again this week. So be a lot of announcements, a lot of news, a lot of interesting partnerships that people are going to start looking at and go, huh, that's a really interesting idea. Because on top of our teams, we also do broadcasting, consulting, program development for uh, esports programs for venues and sports teams. And a lot of what we're doing makes sense when you look at it from a business perspective. But as like, as like a player or a fan, it's not something you would really think of at first glance. And I can't wait to start turning heads. What is some of the biggest challenges that you've faced so far with Iceberg Esports? There, there's two answers to that. As, from the team side, there's a uniquely Canadian issue. It seems that esports in the United States and in Europe has been around for a decade. It's deeply rooted in most major cities. It's still very hard to start a team, but the logistics of it seem relatively easy. In Canada, not only do we have geographical issues, we don't have that kind of history with the industry. So I can't go to a local store and say, hey, can you pay me $20,000? I'll put your logo on the jersey and you'll be our team sponsor. It doesn't work that way here because it just hasn't been around. I mean, Luminosity, Northern, Insomnia, Set to Destroy, they haven't, like they have international brand, but just because they're international doesn't mean they're recognized in Canada. So trying to get over that hurdle and convince people that esports is happening and it's something that they should get on board with is petrifying. And tying in with that from the business side, like we're, we're trying to make esports organically grow in Canada. Like we're taking a very grassroots approach with all of our partnerships. You know, we're not setting up local teams and saying, hey, you're like the Toronto esports team now. We're providing the framework, the support, the infrastructure so that the community can grow and develop those kinds of organizations and teams on their own. I guess we're fueling our own competition, but that's okay. Trying to get those partners on board from the business perspective, because it's not just trying to convince people that they should take advantage of esports as a marketing opportunity, but that it, it's a much larger business opportunity and they need to start looking at it. It's almost like trying to convince a 60 year old that Halo is going to be the new football. Uh, League of Legends is going to be the new hockey. To us, that kind of makes sense. But to someone 60, 70 years old as a chairman of the board of directors, it's like talking a totally different language. So it's almost like the biggest challenge right now is is almost pioneering the culture here because there is no culture here for esports, not yet. Yeah, that's a very nice way to put it, actually. Because like in New York, in Dallas, in Los Angeles, you talk about esports. They're like, oh yeah, we were. There's optic gaming down the street. 
Uh, Immortals have the nice little setup with AEG in Los Angeles. To that, that makes sense. In Toronto, Luminosity, perfect example, has been there for a very long time. Internationally, they're a very well-recognized team. But there hasn't been that kind of local presence that creates that culture and grows the knowledge of the community. So the people who are in are very in, they're very involved, they're very engaged. But if you're outside looking in, you don't even know where to get started. What would you say is your greatest accomplishment with Iceberg? What, what have been some of the big wins? It would have to be the first haul that was made to me after I created Iceberg. Because uh, about I, I started Iceberg on the 22nd of August. Uh, we incorporated seven days later on the 29th. Within a few days, one of the first people I brought on was Dushin Stakic, uh, we call him Kai. He is our chief gaming officer for MOBAs. He used to be the Dota 2 team manager for Fnatic. He managed to put together this Dota 2 team, led by a former coach of Cloud9, and it had the superstar of Canadian Dota, which is Brile. And when we made that announcement, everyone was like, holy crap, where'd these guys come from? And only a few days after that, uh, I got a call from the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> uh, I was about to head out over the road. It was a long weekend. I was about to go out to a little town in Newfoundland called Gander with my girlfriend. Uh, so we're sitting in the Starbucks parking lot uh, waiting for our drinks. And my phone rings and it's a Quebec number. So I, I, I know a few people in Quebec, but I don't know this number. So I'm like, okay, maybe you know they need a friend, need a favor. Pick up the phone. It's a marketing manager from the Montreal Canadiens who wants us to help them get a better understanding of esports and how the Canadians could get involved. Wow, that must be incredibly validating. Uh, I mean, I, I I've done the whole market validation thing. I have a I have a business degree. I've done three ventures before this. Uh, I I know the typical steps to market validation, and here I am seven days after starting iceberg i don't even have a full team yet uh on the management side and i'm talking to an nhl team who wants my advice and my opinion on the esports industry i've had a lot of those moments since but that that really was like the first moment where i i sat back and i went this is going to be something not not just iceberg but esports the fact that people are calling me because they are interested in what we're doing and the industry we're working in. Well, that must be something that really drives you then, because once you have sort of evidence that, that you have something that's worth pursuing, then I guess it's full steam ahead, right? Absolutely. Because uh, I was really playing around with the idea at first, you know, maybe this could be you know, a nice little side project. It could be something that I you know, do evenings and weekends, you know, moonlighting kind of thing, typical software idea but that was really the moment where i said if i get four or five months of just doing this flat out if i can get more calls like the one i just took where could i take this and it really it really was like a galvanizing moment because nothing drives you more in success than wanting more there, there's no such thing as satisfaction i don't i don't trust people who say that they've done enough and they want to just sit back now and enjoy it because once you've had that first taste, that first bit of validation, you don't just sit back and go, well, I feel validated, I'm just going to relax now. No, 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 you, you want the next thing. You want the next level. And so I, in seven days, I had gone from, 
I have an idea to my entire business has been validated overnight. And so I just kept rolling and rolling, setting milestone after milestone and knocking them out like a batting cage. Recently, you were interviewed by Twin Galaxies. Yeah. That's fairly impressive considering how preeminent they are. Uh, how did that come about? Like, was that just another phone call that came out of the blue? Sort of. It was actually something that I I hadn't personally set up, but there are a few Facebook groups uh, for people in the industry. And one of the nice little things about esports, no matter how big it is, it's like everyone knows each other. It's a very tight-knit community, especially on the management side. Like, a lot of the org owners know each other. Uh, there are chat groups, Facebook groups, uh, even a LinkedIn panel somewhere. So someone posted that Twin Galaxies was looking for some kind of angle on esports because it's something that can be used to create a lot of content. I reached out directly and said, this is what we're doing. This is what I want to do. This is where we're going. What do you think? And 10 minutes later, we had set up an interview. I mean, if you see an opportunity, you don't just you don't just sit on it and hope it comes your way. Because it's not going to. You need to make it. I want to know a little bit more about you personally. So who slash what would you say is your greatest inspiration? There was a professor I had in my first year of my business degree uh, for Introduction to Entrepreneurship, Blair Windsor. And the course was brutal. Pretty much everything was subjective. I mean, it's one of those where... You know, if you write well, you're going to do well. So I, I never had any issues with it. So I would just sit down and I would listen. And a lot of the class wasn't actually going over the material. It was Blair telling stories. Because uh, he used to be a lawyer on Bay Street. Uh, he used to be involved with a number of, I mean, almost dozens of startups of various industries, setups, structures. And it fascinated me. I was talking to him one day about my the idea I had for my first venture. He, he sat down, he listened to the entire idea, and he said, Daniel, that's an awful idea. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, why would you say that? Like, what, What's your basis? And he said, because it doesn't sound like you believe it. That was a turning point for me. And I had spoken with a number of professors since. I actually ran into Blair. Uh, as I was going out of the building for the last time, out of the business building, he asked me how everything was going, and I told him about esports and what I wanted to do. And he said, wherever you go and whatever you do, learn from it. And we were talking about tech because of my background. One of the ideas he gave me was go to a place like Waterloo or Silicon Valley. Don't even start anything. Don't go there with a purpose. Just go, sit down in a coffee shop, and listen to the people around you. And listen to the passion they have for their ideas. Because you will always find success if you have that kind of passion. It doesn't matter what you do. And that has really been at the core of what I've done since. I mean, my, not just me, my entire management team at Iceberg, I don't think we would be doing what we're doing if we didn't love it, if we didn't have a passion for it. We're at a point now where a lot of us are doing 30, 40, 50, 60 hours a week trying to keep up. There's no way that you don't do that if you don't enjoy it, if you're not passionate about it. And if I, if I didn't like this, I would have given up three or four months ago. But it's that passion, it's that idea that passion should be at core of everything you do. It should be the why of what you do. 
Do you think possibly that pursuing your passion with such vigor ends up creating a situation that that forces you to lose that passion? Like sometimes people, they, they figure, oh, if you're doing something that you love as work, it's no longer work, it's just fun. But eventually it becomes work, it becomes a grind that, that sort of reduces that passion. Do you think that's that's a possible scenario here? I mean, I would say that's a possible scenario in any circumstance, but the reality of the situation, and not just our situation, but everyone's situation in esports right now is we all understand that where we are and where the industry is right now doesn't really apply to what we think. Esports in 2016 was something like $397 million annually. Last year, it doubled. This year, it's supposed to double again. So wherever we perceive ourselves to be, if we think that we're in a rough spot right now and it's not going to work out, there's more than enough room in the market. I mean, especially on the Canadian side of things, right? Like, like I said, if you're you're pioneering this culture, then you can sort of shape it to be whatever whatever you think is best. Oh, absolutely. I've tried portraying the opportunity in a number of different ways, and I find the one that works best is that Canada Canada is like a little sandbox on the side of the bigger playground. Because I mean, everyone who is looking at esports right now, you know, they're looking at Europe, they're looking at Asia, they're looking at the United States, but no one's really looking at Canada, which I think is a travesty for the community. And it's fantastic for us because we basically have the opportunity to build the industry and the community and the culture from the ground up to represent what we believe esports should be. So in 18 or 24 months, once that's really started rounding itself out, Canada is going to be a shining light in esports for what it could look like around the world if people tried to work together instead of against each other. I find a lot of the times that Canada is misrepresented, not taken seriously in a lot of things. If you look at, say, the Olympics, Canada is always a powerhouse in the Olympics. So the possibilities are sort of endless, and it's one of those things where we absolutely could be a big player in the esports scene. Yeah, I mean, look at, there was a list I was looking at a couple of days ago. It was the top earners uh, among players at esports. I mean, obviously, you know, a, a couple of them are from China, a few from Korea, a few from various European countries. And there's, I believe it's three, if not four, Canadians on that list. Which it sounds remarkably disproportionate, because we have a tenth of the population of any of the other markets. We're incredibly behind in the esports industry uh, from a corporate standpoint. And yet we're producing this kind of talent that dominates the player base. You know, we have Owie 2000, we have Arteezy, we have Moon Meander. These are the people who you look at and you go, my God, what, what drives these people? And some of them have been in the industry the better part of a decade doing it. I think it might actually be a bit of a natural inclination uh, for Canadians because, I mean, obviously with actual sports where you need to go outside a lot, uh, Canada has a bit of an issue with the outside. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. <laughs> so I find a lot of Canadians disproportionately play video games. Uh, there's, a, there's a great digital connection among Canadians. I mean, I have, I've made friends in Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, uh, Anuktatuk, Sheshashi, several small communities around the Yukon Northwest Territories, uh, just from 
playing video games. And because of that natural inclination for us to play video games, it only makes sense that more of us would try to get into the competitive scene and be good at it. So it's almost that one of our disadvantages in the real world works to our advantage in esports. And I think if we tried to leverage that more and try to create that kind of community where more of those people who could be competitive esports professionals don't need to move outside of the United States, go to the United States, go to Europe, go to Asia. They could, in worst case scenario, move to Toronto or Vancouver and become a professional. That's the kind of barrier that I like to break down because there's really an opportunity where people see Canada leading in player in players and performance, which leads me to think that there's more to it that can be tapped into. That's very interesting. I hadn't actually quite considered that yet. Like I've I've always found that our lack of population is a disadvantage in, in certain in- industries. And uh, when you when you put it like that, it, it's more of an advantage actually because of our geographical challenges. Yeah, like the way. The way I've looked at it from the business standpoint, uh, one of the biggest opportunities in esports right now is broadcasting and through that advertising. And typically advertising is priced based on potential viewership, which is usually a portion of the population. And that model and that formula doesn't doesn't really fit in Canada because, I mean, in the United States, it's something like 20 to 30 percent of Americans play video games and watch video games on what they call a regular basis, which is something like monthly. But in Canada, it's almost 60 or 70 percent. There hasn't been or there haven't been exact statistics. So I've tried to work with a few friends in government and uh, around the private sector to find something along those lines. But it, it's much, much higher just because where television doesn't cover all of Canada and where most people are at the point now where they're cutting cable we actually find ourselves much more connected digitally than through television. So as far as the esports industry goes, where it's an entire digital market where you can advertise through broadcast and Twitch and other platform. If you wanted to target the United States, it's almost capped at a certain level. But if you want to target Canada, we have a much broader spectrum. We have a much wider audience. And frankly, we're just connected more. Because even where television is limited, there's generally some sort of internet connection. Yeah, that's quite interesting due to how vast our country is in terms of <laughs> geographical size. Like, there's not as much population density, but that doesn't matter, almost. Yeah, like in, in television, you know, there's local cable networks. So, you know, if you want to you wanna do advertising in New York, you go to a New York television provider. For the internet, in general, you don't need to do that. But where that might get 20 or 30% of Americans, you could get 60 or 70% of Canadians, and you wouldn't even need the target. You could just shotgun it and get the entire audience, depending on how you position. So from a marketer standpoint, where marketing dollars traditionally just don't go as far as they used to, you know, with like billboards and TV ads, it doesn't influence millennials anywhere near as much. We actually have an opportunity to almost shift the marketing paradigm to think more digital first as opposed to digital and because it's it's never been the core of a marketing strategy 
but like that that was the focus of my entire business degree was marketing and i really think that if we could build more marketing strategies around esports and digital content we might actually start to see more industries shift into esports in one way or another just to take advantage of the opportunity well you were even saying that long established sports teams are are getting interested you said the montreal canadians what sort of future do you want to see as far as involvement with professional sport teams that have been around for you know decades the long and short of it is if there's one thing that sports teams do well it's build community but sports just doesn't have that kind of millennial appeal i mean people can attribute that to a whole bunch of different reasons but that's the long and short of it sports for millennials just doesn't do it so instead of these sports teams just writing off millennials and saying okay we're not going to bother with them we're going to focus on the market we do have uh, we're trying to position esports in a way that allows these traditional sports teams to leverage their existing infrastructure, their support systems, and their communities to extend that community into esports. Because a lot of these, a lot of the cities that professional sports teams work in are larger cities that don't have any kind of formalized esports program or team or community. A lot of it's grassroots stuff friends getting together university programs and clubs but like there isn't an ottawa esports program there isn't a toronto esports group there are a lot of people that you know put like the toronto name onto something and expect that to be the city-wide thing but they just don't have that kind of bandwidth and they compete with like the toronto maple leafs and the raptors and the blue jays whereas these teams have been doing it for decades if not the better part of a century so to me it makes sense that these teams would try to reach in and interact with the younger population while they're interacting with esports because the unfortunate reality is they're going to get their education they're going to get a job they're not going to be able to sit down and watch the international for four days straight but if they've been interacting with the toronto maple leafs brand for 20 years because they've been in uh the toronto esports program they're probably going to watch hockey so it's very much a long game marketing strategy but if they want to see the longevity of their franchises and of their sport, uh, they really need to start thinking outside the box. And I think Iceberg and esports in general really is that opportunity. I've often, or I've long argued that esports is way more similar to typical sports than it's given credit for, just with the structure of how things are. It just makes total sense to call it a sport. Do you see, I guess, large-scale developments for for esports, like just in general? Like, are you seeing stadiums? Are you seeing devoted teams per city traveling around? Like, do you see it turning into a scene that reflects what we typically think of sports? I'm very critical of the Overwatch League for many reasons, but when they went with the city-based franchise model, uh, a lot of people turned their heads and went, "Wait, they're trying to be an actual sport." And there's a lot of back and forth in the community about what kind of impact that model would have. But the general consensus was, this is what esports needs. It might not be what Overwatch needs, but if you think about what makes esports esports, it is the community. And I mean, the digital community is great. You can do matchmaking with them and it's fantastic, but there's nothing quite like a LAN. And I think at its core, it's the exact same principle for sports. You can play soccer on any pitch of grass that you can find. But 
there's something about having two teams on a pitch in this arena with thousands of people around cheering for their teams that it's energetic, it's electric, it's it's intoxicating almost. And it's the exact same for a LAN. So while there is a good argument for, you know, esports is an online first kind of thing, sure. But I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's both. And if you want to see grassroots, organic growth of esports, you will start seeing more cities prop up these kinds of programs. As a matter of fact, I think 2018 is going to be the year where you will see the first esports Olympic program and some sort of national uh, effort or initiative or association, uh, whether it be Canada or the US or somewhere else in the world, to standardize esports and make it uh, into a framework much more akin to something like the NHL or the NFL, because it really is that similar. It's the exact same setup, it's the same format. Should have the same performance standards, player protection. It's just a matter of who's going to get there first. It's one of those things like, how do we convince those of the typical sports mindset that this is a real thing that is so similar to typical sports, like hockey, like football, like whatever, with its structure, with its outreach to its fans and its community? Like, how do we convince them to, to take it as seriously and, and get, into it as, get into it more? And some of these people are, you know, 50, 60 years old. They don't think video games are going to ever beat football. But what I've started noticing is the people who are in their mid-30s, maybe late 30s, early 40s, uh, they're the people who grew up with Nintendo Entertainment System. They're the people who, when they hit high school, got their first Xbox. They've watched the very beginning of esports and competitive gaming because they participated in it in one shape or another. So to them, it makes a lot more sense. And as they climb the ladders and get into higher positions of authority in these kinds of sports organizations, it's something that they look at and go, maybe we should give it a shot. And they can also be very persuasive. Never put it past a 50 or 60 year old to listen to someone who sounds like they know what they're talking about. One of those things where it, it may not be as challenging as you think. No, it's all about having the right conversations with the right people. And I, I know that a lot of people especially in this industry, uh, try to do almost like a cookie-cutter approach where they try to sell everyone on the same idea, which, I mean, fine, fair, that works for a lot of companies. Uh, I just don't think that's the right approach if these are the kinds of people you want to talk to. Like when I talk with people on boards of directors for sports teams, I know that they probably don't know a whole lot about esports. So I'm not going to talk about the League of Legends franchising system in the NALCS. I'm not going to talk about you know, the different teams and the organizations involved. I'm going to talk about viewership for the international in 2017. I'm going to talk about advertising revenue during the League of Legends World Championships, because that's the same language they speak when they talk about, you know, the Stanley Cup or the Super Bowl. So even if they have no clue what esports is and they don't even care, they hear numbers that they're familiar with and metrics that they use every day, and they go, wow, that sounds like a great opportunity. That makes sense. I want someone to tell me more. Just to sort of close out, what can you tell us about 2018 for Iceberg? As far as Canada goes, what I can say for certain is Canada will find its national identity in 2018, and we will have some hand in it internationally. 
Iceberg will be moving to at least two other countries in addition to Canada in 2018 and will probably be getting much more involved on the collegiate side. Because as, as much as I love and appreciate just grassroots organizations and communities, I think the best way to grow the actual industry, not, not just the teams, but having companies and organizations involved is to get people involved on the collegiate level. So that, you know, once they're looking at graduating, seeing what they want to do, you get more people with business degrees, engineering degrees, and get them into the industry in one way or another and raise the bar. Because where the market is doubling every year right now, uh, there's a lot of opportunities for pretty much anybody to do whatever they want. And as that kind of plateaus, I really want to see more knowledgeable and qualified individuals try to get in and make of it what they will because that's why esports has a bad rep right now among some players because a lot of organizations are burning their players and not paying them for people who have that kind of background and education they know how to set it up that way they know how to set up revenue they know how to project expenses they know how to administer payroll and it, it sounds really basic but that really is my goal for 2018 is to kind of if i can't raise the bar of the entire industry at least set a standard for what other people should be able to do. There should be no issues for an organization to try and figure out how to do a cross-border team where an American team has an organization or a team in Canada and vice versa. It is complex. There are a lot of different things that go into it, but attracting more of those kinds of educated individuals and setting the bar for what should be expected of an organization uh, is really my goal. Because that's the only way the industry is going to validate itself in the eyes of the broader population. Well, Dan, thank you very much for, for doing this with me and for giving your time for this interview. No, my pleasure. It, thank you for having it's me. It's been a blast. It's been a blast. If you enjoyed our podcast, you can find more on your favorite podcast app or on icebergesports.ca. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and like this video if you enjoyed. Leave a comment or rating to let us know what you think. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you in the next episode. That's fantastic for us because we basically have the opportunity to build the industry and the community and the culture from the ground up.